You know, one of the things that people don't really know that I'm into is die-cast car collecting. And when I was looking for that holy grail piece, I looked no further than Pit Road Diecast. They helped me look for it. I found it. I bought it. Bill and the team definitely had went out of their way to help me find and track it down so that I could purchase it. So if you have a story like mine and need to get assistance finding that one die-cast car you're having that hard time finding, maybe it's a special version of Chase Elliott's car, give Bill and the team at Pit Road Diecast a call. 216-355-2347. Mention that you found Pit Road Diecast on Redline Radio LLC and receive $5 off your in-store purchase. Money's Crazy Mind is brought to you by Incredible Keepsakes. At Incredible Keepsakes, cherished moments are made to last forever. T-shirts, binders, cups, you name it, Incredible Keepsakes can make it. Reach out to them today at IncredibleKeepsakes.com or 440-242-9648. Don't forget to mention you heard about them on Redline Radio, LLC. Man, has it been raining like crazy. Let's say the main sewer line of your house sucked up a bunch of garbage from the street during them last runs of storms. Well, if you need your drain cleaned, go ahead and give Smith's Drain Service LLC a call. Your local drain cleaning experts. Call at 440-242-8704. Not just your main sewer line, but your bathtub and laundry lines, septic line, kitchen sink lines, floor drain downspouts, and much, much more. Family owned and operated and local to Northeast Ohio. Smith's Drain Service LLC. Give them a call today. Warning. Money's crazy mind contains language that may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised, but will be completely Ignored. It's 2023, everybody. The asylum is open. And we are not live. Still pre-recorded. Still 
working out, getting ready for episode number 100. Like I said last week, the plan for episode 100 is slowly changing. Not exactly sure what we're going to do, but we are definitely, 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 hey, you stay focused, Mr. Camera, I'm looking at you, going to do something completely different than I have ever done for any kind of cool celebration or anything like that for Money's Crazy Mind and the 100th episode celebration. So stay tuned for that. So originally, the way it was working out was that episode 100 was going to land right near the end of February. Now it's because I had to take a week off uh, due to some family stuff, and I think I might have taken another week off too. Um, that plan, or the date on that has changed slightly. Actually, I did have to take two weeks off. I took the week before Christmas off because of the storm knocking out internet and all kinds of fun garbage here in the central of spook. But that's where we're coming at you from. First time in 2023. So happy to be back with everybody. And, you know, things are starting to look a little bit more up in Lee motherfucking money's world. So let's talk about a couple of things here. So Christmas, Christmas was probably one of the better Christmases I've had, you know, other than the fact that on Christmas Eve, it was fucking planet hoth cold. Christmas was actually pretty good. So you know, can't be too negative on how Christmas went. New Year's, unfortunately, slightly different story. We're having a grand old time. We're hanging out with family, me and the wife. And it's getting like 30 seconds to ball drop. And we're watching the Ohio State game on the slim chance that Ohio State might just pull this win off against Georgia and make it to the college football national championship. And it's getting down to the freaking wire and we're just like, uh, ball drop, like, let's move this along, Ohio State, please. Win or lose, just do something. So sure enough, their kicker comes out, Ruggles. I'm sitting there and I'm singing scoop, scoop, yum, yum. Ruggles kick the fucking ball. Miffs it. That, that I don't know where the hell he was kicking the ball to, but 
where he should have been kicking the ball to is, let's say it's that spire right there on the top of Nurse Ratchet's Asylum that I come at you from every Friday. He's kicking the bitch, like, all the way in the corner over there. And I'm just like, okay. Well, flipped over to channel three just as the timer hit zero, and it's officially 2023. <laughs> you know, so we're doing that. You know, we're we're doing our little champagne toast, all that fun shit. And then all of a sudden, uh, my wife and I get a notification that a location, I'm not going to name the location, and I'm going to try to keep some of the um, details about the event slightly vague, only because there's a lot of question marks as to what actually happened and things of that nature. But um, we get a notification that a location where some of our friends are celebrating at had a event happen, uh, a negative event. I got glitter all over me, and I don't know where the fuck it came from. Like, what? where did that fucking come from? But I don't know. Started a new job tonight, and I'm, and I'm working in a kitchen. And I'm thinking it might be metal scraps from uh, one of the spatulas because we had to sharpen it. So it might just be little metal shards from that. But whatever, we'll move on. And so it's like, uh, time to go. You know, because we wanted to check on our friends and things like that. And, uh, the good news is, is that. While our friends were kind of caught in some of the melee that happened um, at this location, uh, they're okay. So, you know, it, it was a little bit of a scare, you know, but it is, you know, it is what it is. You know, I just kind of wish that here in 2023, now I got to use the saying that that we could move beyond some of this bullshit. Like, why can't we go out somewhere and celebrate without the fear of something happening? Like, I, I don't understand it. Like, I mean, we were with family, so, I mean, we were cool. But, I mean, you know, you should be able to go out and celebrate however you want without being afraid of having something happen. And that's kind of where I was going with that. But, you know, so, you know, I'm just glad that everybody's safe and that the people responsible for causing the incident were all arrested, all taken care of, and, and it's no longer a threat. But, yeah, a little bit of a scary New Year's, and, you know, as the reports were coming in, we were hearing some names that sounded familiar and things like that. So, you know, we, we did a friend check, 
to ring in 2023. But I want to talk about something that hits a little bit close to home for me. And I just want to say it seems like relief is finally underway. And finally, something, um, while it may not be exactly what we want done about it, something is being done. And I saw a story come across the newswire over the weekend where, and like I said, this one hits close to home for me, uh, where there's finally starting to be some class action lawsuits filed against Kia and Hyundai for the thefts of the vehicles because of a manufacturer. Everybody's calling it a defect. I don't necessarily know if it's a de- It's definitely a fucking inconvenience, I can say that. Uh, but I don't necessarily know if I would call it a defect. But I'll call it a decision by Kia and Hyundai to not put immobilizer chips in their vehicles stating or uh you know from 2012 to 2021 so let me kind of explain what is kind of happening here in case you've been living under a rock Kia and Hyundai vehicles from 2020 uh, 2012 to 2021 most models either do not have keyless entry or push-to-start capabilities, meaning your vehicle needs a key to be inserted into the ignition to start the car. And those models apparently are very easy to steal for one reason. Earlier last year, or early last year, early 2022, I almost said earlier this year, and I'm like, wait a minute, we're not in 2022 no more. A video was put out on TikTok, and granted, the person that put this video out was probably just trying to help people, but started an unfortunate trend where it showed people just how easy it is to break into these vehicles and start the car. Well, he didn't show how easy it is to break into the vehicle. I mean, the key, you know, any car can be broken into. It's just the level of anti-theft device that makes it that much easier i'll I'll put it that way now the good thing about my car is that it has an alarm on it and <laughs> one of the one of the recalls on the vehicle was actually to adjust the sensitivity 
of the alarm because a strong gust of wind would set the bitch off. So they they tuned it down just a smudge so that at least, you know, you can't like accidentally bump into the car and the alarm will go off. But you can Come on. I hate cameras with autofocus. Uh you you know, it does have the window break sensor on it. So if somebody tries to break my window, the alarm is going to go off because there's been enough of a vibration. There are a lot of Kia and Hyundai models in these model years that don't even have an alarm. So at least I have that extra level of protection. But basically, what this video showed people is how you can remove the steering column and where the keyhole is you can actually fit a us fuck my life you can fit a usb cable into that the the big end this end turn the ignition and start the car which then unlocks the steering wheel and makes it possible for you to to change gears now obviously you still have to apply pressure to the brake as you do in any car but it just shows people how easy it is to, to get into that steering column and start the car with the USB. And like I said, the person that probably, I'm hoping, the person that originally posted the video was probably just doing what he could to be like, hey, if you lost your key, at least you can get into your car and start and be able to do what you got to do. But it destroys your steering column. The issue is, is that when they break into these vehicles, they're not doing it through the front windows, they're doing it through the back. Now, I don't know if my window brake sensors are on the back windows or not. Hyundai, like a bunch of fucking morons, in a press release mentioned that their vehicles in these model years that are easily, you know, started with these USB cables do not, have window brake sensors on their alarms. And I'm like, oh my God. Hyundai, you're idiots. Because now you just let these people know. Well, if they have an alarm, it's not going to go off until we open the door. So I'm not going to open the door. I'm just going to jump through the fucking window. Congratulations. You're idiots. But here's the issue with this whole thing. And here's where I take offense with this. You call Kia, you call Hyundai, and you're like, hey, what are you guys going to do to help the owners of these vehicles so that our vehicles don't get stolen? Bupkis. You can have an immobilizer put into your vehicle at your cost. You could have a keyless entry device put in by Hyundai or Kia at your cost. Or you can buy some anti-theft device like a steering wheel lock, the club, you know, whatever, at your cost. Now, they did do something somewhat good by uh, trying to get 
steering wheel locks sent out to cities and municipalities and things like that, but they're very limited number. I think the last time my city got a shipment in, it was 10. And they were gone within 15 minutes. And the thing that's really upsetting me about the way certain people in my city have been reacting to what we as vehicle owners are going through is, you know, that's what you get for buying a fucking Korean car. It's what you get in buy American motherfucker. Well, let me enlighten you assholes. 90% of the parts for Kia and Hyundai vehicles are manufactured in the United States. There is a Kia United States. There is a Hyundai United States. And yes, there is a Hyundai and a Kia in South Korea, North Korea. No, South Korea. I'm trying to remember which one was the good one. And, you know, obviously other countries as well. Just because the name isn't Ford or Chevy doesn't make it a non-American made vehicle. These cars are being built and assembled in the United States. Here's the other thing you fucktards don't seem to understand. 90% of the parts that are in your vehicles are also foreign made. Just because they are an American made car doesn't mean all the parts are made in America. Jackasses. The main issue I have with this whole situation is that now because Kia and Hyundai thefts are up 900% in some areas, the parts to fix these vehicles have now become almost impossible to get. Because you have to replace window glass, you have to replace the steering column, and God forbid the little bastard that steals the car doesn't trash it. These cars are literally being stolen, driven, and just left places. Sometimes these idiots are even just leaving them in the middle of the fucking road, and then another car barrels into it. Now your car is totaled. And what are you going to do then? You're going to get the check from your insurance company and you're going to go buy another car. And you're probably not going to buy a Hyundai or a Kia because you don't want your car stolen again. But here's what else it's doing to people. It's raising our insurance rates in some, in some cases four to five hundred percent my insurance went from a double digit number to a triple 
digit number. Because of something I have zero control over, and because of something I am not at all responsible for. Because somebody unfortunately taught somebody and taught people how to commit Grand Theft Auto. So now, finally, a lot of states and even police departments and other law enforcement agencies in these states and in these municipalities and areas where these vehicles are being stolen in god-awful record numbers are finally fighting back. And they're fighting back by finally getting class action lawsuits filed against Kia and Hyundai for the issue with these vehicles. The cool thing is, is that in our area, in northeastern Ohio, there is not one, but two law firms that have started class action lawsuits against these auto manufacturers. I'm not going to give all the details out, but I am going to give you guys the websites that you can go to to answer the questionnaire to see if you are able to be a part of these class action lawsuits. Now, I do want to state something. Do I agree with this? Somewhat. But the potential for any kind of monetary recovery in this case is going to be very, very slim if your vehicle has not been damaged or stolen. There is a possibility that if you have taken extra steps to make your vehicle less stealable or you've taken actions to add additional anti-theft protection to your vehicle be it you added an immobilizer uh some kind of kill switch uh keyless entry or even just you purchased a steering wheel lock you might be able to get your money back for that But if your vehicle has not been stolen or damaged or you have not taken extra steps to help make your car more protected, this is probably only going to help force the manufacturers to try to fix these issues at no cost to you. I'm just throwing that out there in case anybody is trying to just get some money out of this. Now, getting some money out of this would obviously be great because they are stating that um, 
you know, since we were not made aware of this and Kia took no steps to try to fix Kia or Hyundai, I should say, took no steps to try to fix this, that we might be able to get some of the money back from the initial purchase of our cars because we were made susceptible to theft because Kia did nothing to, you know, the manufacturers, I got to stop saying just Kia, did nothing to try to remedy this situation and are forcing owners to fix these problems out of pocket instead of them saying, our bad, here's a recall, we'll fix this for free. So the two law firms are Payne Law LLC and the Harrington Firm. Um, I have actually worked with the Harrington Firm in the past on another class action lawsuit. So they're good. And they do take these things very seriously. Payne Law, I have never dealt with. But... You can go to harringtonfirm.com and you can just type in Kia and it'll bring up the lawsuit. Same thing with uh, Payne Law. So their website is Payne Law Ohio, P-A-Y-N-E, lawohio.com. You can go on there and you can find, and actually that's just right on their homepage. Um, so like when you first go to their, their site, if you scroll down a little bit, there'll be a question there that says, has your Kia or Hyundai been stolen? And then you can scroll through and it'll, it'll take you to a link where you can fill out the questionnaire and, and, uh, see if you can, if you qualify to be a part of this class action lawsuit. So. That's information on that. Money's crazy mind giving back, trying to help the community, trying to help these people uh, that are like me, an owner of one of these kind of vehicles um, to help protect you uh, from potentially having to pay to have these issues fixed when they should be taken care of by the manufacturers. Uh, we, t- we talked briefly a little bit about this um, not too long ago where DC... So we're going to move on to the next topic, obviously. DC Comics has been canceling movies left and right. They're canceling television shows, etc., so on and so forth. Um, and we now know that James Gunn, who has taken over DC Films. Shut up, psych ward. Um, okay, well, that shouldn't affect. Okay. Sorry, I had a brain fart. I'm like, wait a minute, why did that play? It's a completely different scene. And then I remembered, oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um is 
yet again rebooting the stories of our some of our all-time favorite superheroes. My my dude Batman being one of them, Superman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Aquaman, all of them are being rebooted and the actors and actresses that have played the characters in throughout the Snyderverse are done. So, which is funny because we've I've heard reports and I haven't heard otherwise yet that Ben Affleck was coming back to play Batman again. So it's like, okay, is is Batfleck coming back? Because they, they've stated that unfortunately Robert Pattinson is out. And I actually like the portrayal of Batman that Robert Pattinson did. I thought it was a very good portrayal of a year one style Batman, which is exactly what that movie was. That was a Batman in his first year. So that's why, you know, the Batmobile was very stuck looking. It's why the Batman costume wasn't as elaborate as some of the other ones were, like the Batfleck one, like, you know, the Michael Keaton, the 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 Clooney, the Christian Bale one, even even though that was an origin story too, and those stories were taking place in year one, year I think it was year three and year five, the suit didn't really change all that much except for maybe upgrading some of the armor. You know, but he wants to go back to, to telling not necessarily origin stories because those stories are outdone and have been done so many times in the past we don't need to do those stories again. But he wants to go younger with the actors. So Henry Cavill, bye, you're done as Superman, even though they put that that teaser in the in mid credit scene of Black Adam. Batfleck supposedly might be coming back to do one more movie, and then after that, he's done as Batman. We're going younger. You had younger. You had Robert Pattinson. Why not stick with Pattinson? Whatever. Gal Gadot. No longer Wonder Woman. That one burns me because Godot was perfect as Wonder Woman. Cavill, fantastic as Superman. I don't know anybody that is a fan of Superman that didn't like Henry Cavill as Superman. Obviously, Batfleck, out. A lot of people didn't like Batfleck. I loved Batfleck. Pattinson, out. I liked Pattinson. This one's going to make a lot of ladies mad. Jason Momoa, no longer Aquaman. Ezra Miller, good fucking riddance, no longer The Flash. So he's rebooting the entire DC Universe again. He supposedly has a 10-year plan to uh, go through everything and change everything up. To do like a 10 year thing like what, what Marvel did will it work don't know that's remaining to be seen here's my problem with this I understand what you want to do you want to do a, a, a 10 year story that culminates into big events like Marvel did Cool, great, I'm fine with that. But 
there's things in comic books that especially if you're a DC fan, you know way too much about. And that is alternate dimensions. What would be so wrong of telling your new 10-year saga and make that Earth-1? And then let Zack Snyder come in and finish out the Snyderverse and make it the Snyderverse universe or the, the Snyderverse and make that Earth 2, Earth 3, Earth 5, Earth 50, whatever. So for those of you that may not be comic book readers, let me explain what I'm talking about here. Marvel is kind of doing something very similar to this now in phase 9,458, whatever phase they're on, where there's a multiverse and there's different versions of every character in these different universes. DC has something very similar to that. Twice in my lifetime, they have collapsed the multiverse, and it looks like they're probably in their third iteration of this and not too long after they just did it, which makes no sense to me. The first time in my lifetime this happened was a event called Crisis on Infinite Earths. Now, why Crisis on Infinite Earths happened is you had over the decades all these different writers, all these different artists, all these different storytellers coming in and putting their spin on these characters. Continuity became a huge issue. In some issues, Batman had an uncle and an aunt that would appear every once in a while. In other issues, he didn't. He just had Alfred. In other issues, the Joker's dead. In other issues, the Riddler never existed. In other issues, this person, and you know, so on, so forth, whatever. And it, it wasn't just Batman. It was every character. And shit was getting so crazy. They're like, oh, we'll just throw that on Earth 2. We'll throw that on Earth 5. We'll throw that on Earth 17. We'll throw that on Earth 900. It got so bad that finally they're like, we need to reel this in. This is out of hand. And basically what it did was reset damn near 50 years of continuity where none of the stories that happened previous to this exist anymore. We are starting over. And that is where a lot of the best stories that have ever been told with these characters came from. I'm talking about Frank Miller's beautiful Batman Year One. Todd McFarlane's Batman Year Two. The Killing Joke, The Man Who Laughs, a lot of the origin 
that has been used over the years for the characters. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman. All of those that we know as what we as readers and as diehard fans of the characters consider to be the definitive origin stories, not just of the heroes, but of some of their greatest villains, came after the event of Crisis on Infinite Earths where the multiverse was completely destroyed. And there was only one Earth and one set of heroes. Well, as these things tend to do, things started getting out of hand again because of the same thing. Different artists, different writers telling different stories. Some of them were going back to year one for some of the characters. Jeff Loeb was famous for this with Batman. Some of them would go into the future. Some of them would, would, you know, things were just all over the place yet again. Different, ver you know, the characters changed their looks, the, you know, so on and so forth. So they invented yet another multiverse ending event to reel the stories back in again. And that happened in 2011. I think it was 2011. Hang on here. I might be wrong yet again. So they might have collapsed the multiverse three times in my lifetime. Two thousand eleven. Okay, I was right. So in two thousand eleven, they decided to collapse the multiverse again. This time, they did it with a story with the Flash where he travels back in time to try to prevent his mother from being murdered and ends up causing all kinds of chaos. And he had to reset the flashpoint, which is what they called it, to reset the timeline yet again, causing them to once again reset the characters, and this time heroes had only been on Earth for five years. So sometimes they would go backwards and tell the origin stories of some of these characters and they and basically made Darkseid the main baddie in the entire thing. Then in 2016, even though the New 52 had kind of, which is the era that they called it, had, had been relatively contained. And every comic just continued the story like detective comics and the batman comic and then you know they had robin catwoman you know other other characters all of those stories were contained into one universe and you couldn't deviate outside of that like if they did a crossover it would be a crossover event that would include the entire justice league um you know, sometimes Batman would team up with Superman and stuff like that, but they would they would they created a comic book for that, Batman Superman. So they they and then if they wanted to tell stories that were outside of continuity, they would just invent a new book. Like it, it was it got a little crazy, but not too much. So then 2016, they did the Dark Side War, which again helped to try to recontain some of the things that were going on 
and put things kind of back into a little bit more of a neater bow. And, you know, started the comic book comics back at number one, hired new writers, did a whole bunch of stuff, but still kept things pretty much contained. Um, so that's just kind of a my take on some of the multiverse stuff. Um, and just kind of a brief explanation of what a multiverse is. Now, I don't really read Marvel comics that much. I'm a DC guy, always have been. So, you know, maybe Marvel does their multiverse stuff a little bit differently. But like I said, they're definitely tackling it now in the movies. I do watch the Marvel movies. Um, you know, the, the new Ant-Man and Wasp movie is called uh, Quantumania, which is going to basically talk about how the multiverse got created after the snap and things like that. So my thing is, is that multiverses exist. So why can't the Gal Gadot, the, the Ben Affleck, the Henry Cavill characters, Ezra Miller has to go. The dude is just a danger to himself. Hate to say that, but, you know, if they want to get rid of Ezra Miller and, and just have one flash, cool. But why not allow these stories that, I mean, Wonder Woman 3 was written and greenlit and ready to go, and then James Gunn came in and said, sorry, Patty, we're not going that way anymore with the character called Gallen and said, you're no longer Wonder Woman. You know, Jason Momoa, after the new Aquaman movie, you're done too. Bye. Thank you for coming. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Henry Cavill were talking about doing Black Adam 2, where he fights fucking Superman. That would have been awesome because Black Adam versus Superman, cool. And we don't even know if Shazam, the new Shazam movie, which is still happening, is going to have Black Adam in it or not. You know, so, I mean, all these people are getting their, their pink slips from DC, and the most recent one is The Rock. So now we're going to get a, a new Black Adam, if that's the way they decide to go. Zachary Levy has, has stated that he hasn't been told whether or not he's coming back yet or not. So I'll be curious to know if they're going to keep him as Shazam. Or, for those of you that know your comic book history, the real Captain Marvel. So, there's just still so many questions that I don't think will ever get answered. And that, to me, is bullshit. I get it. I do. I understand you want to go your own way with this. But there's nothing that states that you can't continue these stories with the actors that originally started them. There's nothing that says you can't. And that, to me, is the part that pisses me off the most. Where it's like, we all know, if you're a true comic book fan, that multiverses exist and there's no reason to say that they can't work on film either so let us 
have the story that that we want finished. You know, and James Gunn did state like you know we're not saying that these characters are done forever; they're just done for right now. Well, if you have a ten-year plan, dude, when the fuck are these characters gonna have their time to shine? When are we gonna get the rest of the of this story? Because that's clearly the way DC and Warner Brothers wanted to go for a time, and it did seem like once Discovery came in, they were even talking like, you know, hey, can we get at least the the next Justice League movie? Like, are you going to be able to tie all of your storylines up in one big bow instead of having to do three movies? Can you do it in two? Uh, you know, because I'm going to come out and say it. That Zack Snyder's Justice League was one of the biggest events in HBO Max history. They got so many people to sign up for it once that thing was finally announced as it's going to be released on this date. It was a huge success. Blu-ray sales through the roof. 4K sales through the roof. It was the biggest success DC's had in decades. And everybody even says, you can sit there and say the Justice League movie that came out in 2016 or 2017, 2018, whenever that movie came out, is the canon version because that's the one that got put out in theaters. But I can tell you right now, my Justice League movie is the Zack Snyder Justice League. Zack Snyder's Justice League is the official title of it. That's the version I like. It's the version I watch. Yes, it's four hours long. But God damn it, does it keep you involved for four hours? So, you know, I don't know why they all of a sudden decided that this was the route they wanted to go, but it's the route they decided to take. It's the route we got to deal with. So, to wrap this story up in a nice little bow, I would really like to see. DC decide to allow other creative mediums in film, live action film, not just animation. The animation's cool, and the animation's a lot of fun, and those movies are all fantastic, but there's no reason we can't tell some of these stories on the screen. and. Why is it that the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movies are allowed to continue, but none of the other ones are? I mean, maybe this second Joker movie is going to be the last one in that story, and they're going to tell Joaquin Phoenix, hey, thanks for coming. And, I mean, if they do, that's fine, whatever. But the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie was allowed to still be greenlit. The uh, Flash movie with a man who pled guilty to assault was allowed to continue. But none of these other stories were allowed to continue. That That's the part of me that that's just baffling. And they're like, well, the flash movie is going to end the Snyder verse. It's also going to create, you know, the, the timeline switch, which is what, what, what they're going to use to usher in this new 10 year plan. 
fine, great. But they're deleting the cameos from Affleck, from Godot, from Cavill, from Jason Momoa, from all these characters because they're not moving that way anymore. So, okay, so does that mean at the end of the Flash movie, we're not going to see the Ezra Miller Flash reset? I hate to say it, if you've been following the news about what this Flash movie's about, it's Flashpoint. So if you haven't read the Flashpoint comic, do yourself a favor, read it. It's phenomenal. Or go on HBO Max and watch the Flashpoint Paradox animated film. It's not a direct interpretation of the Flashpoint comic, but it is damn close. Damn close. Watch that and you will have kind of an understanding of the story they're going to tell with the Ezra Miller Flash movie which I, if I believe, they're actually rebranding it Flashpoint. So if that means that the Ezra Miller Flash doesn't, isn't the Flash that resets the Flashpoint, are you introducing us to the Flash of the future? Which, if you are, cool, great, fine, whatever. But just stop making such drastic changes without giving us any information about what the future is going to be. That's all I'm asking for. That's all DC comic fans are asking for. And I got to tell you, James, I love you, buddy. You you did amazing things with Guardians of the Galaxy and hopefully you're going to do amazing things here in DC. Uh, your your suicide movie was fucking great. Your Suicide Squad movie was great. But you're alienating a huge part of the audience that would go and pay to see your movies because you're changing things that people didn't want changed. Namely, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. Henry Cavill as Superman. Okay, fine. You want to get bring a different Batman in? Bring a different Batman in. Cool, fine, whatever. Uh, Jason Momoa as Aquaman. I think the one thing everybody can agree on is Ezra Miller needed to go, but is what it is. All right, here's what we're going to do now. We are done with the second topic of the week. We are getting into the main topic of the show in the next hour. And what that main topic is, I've kind of been keeping it a secret here a little bit. But the main topic of this week is going to be the dark side of professional wrestling. Now, not necessarily like what Dark Side of the Ring does, where they talk about, you know, these crazy moments that are the darkest parts of professional wrestling's past. What I'm talking about is some of the moments that caused or not necessarily the moments that caused the darkest parts of professional wrestling, but the effects of what professional wrestling has done to some of the most influential people in professional wrestling. And we will talk about a crazy motherfucker that I discovered um, and kind of talk about how I think He's using some of his professional wrestling lineage 
to cover up some very bad things that this person did and how it can make some of the other moments from the past seem that much more crucial. But before we get into that main topic, we're going to jump to break here. When we come back, dark side of professional wrestling. And that will be our close out topic for the week. Taking you to break this week is Bones of Giants with one of my favorite songs from them. And seeing how some things have gone for me the past couple the past couple of weeks. Um you know, like I said, with my depression, with the holidays and everything, which I think is kind of normal. I think a lot of people have that. But some other things that have happened in my life over the past couple of weeks that have just kind of made me gone, fuck. Here's Bones of Giants with their song, Flawed to Perfection. Shit. 
Oh wow, that sounds that sounds really great. Wow, that sounds like a really good deal. Who are you talking to? Uh, the Northeast Ohio Ghostbusters. Hello, Northeast Ohio Ghostbusters. What are you wearing? Uh, khakis. Well, that sounds hideous. Well, they're Ghostbusters. Redline Radio is proud to partner with Growing Wings Adult Services, the proud sponsor of our state-of-the-art production studio. The team at Growing Wings has over seven years' experience of helping adults with disabilities in the Northeast Ohio area. If Lisa Summers and the team at Growing Wings can help your family, contact them at 234-334-7547 today. And mention that you heard all about Growing Wings right here on Redline Radio, LLC. And we are back. Are we back, Doc? Did we make it back to the right version of 1985? I don't know. Don't ask me, man. That's all I got to say. Do not ask me if we made it back to the right version of 1985, because we're in 2023, goddammit. Anyway, welcome back into the asylum. We are back. Huge shout-out to Bones of Giants for Flawed to Perfection. And, of course, a huge shout-out to my guys, my boys, my brothers in slime, and the Northeast Ohio Ghostbusters for allowing me to play that funny little State Farm parody video that they did long before I was ever a member of the group. But awesome video, awesome time. And, of course, uh, we will be returning to the Growing Wings Adult Services Studios very, very soon. All right. But let's say you're a Steel City Renegades fan and you want to hang out with two out of three members of the Steel City Renegades this weekend. Well, where can you do that? So I'm breaking a little bit of news here in two ways. Dave and Chipper from the Steel City Renegades are going to be at Acrisure Stadium this Sunday afternoon for the Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Cleveland Clown Show at Acrisure Stadium in Pittsburgh. But before that, they are going to be broadcasting live live from Mike's Beer Bar. So, Dave and Chipper are telling everybody, if you want to meet them, meet me at Mike's, located across the street from PNC Park. Mike's Beer Bar, formerly Beerhead Bar, is a premier craft beer destination in Pittsburgh with 80 rotating taps and over 500 beers. You are sure to find the perfect beer for any occasion. Stop in today and make sure to tell your friends, meet me at Mike's. So the Steel City Renegades, well, two out of three of the members of the Steel City Renegades are going to be broadcasting live this weekend from Mike's Beer Bar. Stay tuned for that. A special start time on that episode. Stay tuned. Keep your ear dialed in 
to the Steel City Renegades Facebook page and the Redline Radio Facebook page to know when a special live remote edition of Steel City Renegades is going to be happening this Sunday for the season, well, regular season finale of the 2022 NFL season. What's on the line for the Steelers? We'll talk all about that. Myself, Chipper, Dave, we'll be talking all about that this Sunday at a special start time. Like I said, stay tuned on what time that's going to be. We have an idea of what time we're going to do it. It's just making sure that that's going to be possible. All right, moving on. Let's say, unfortunately, you need to buy an immobilizer for your Kia or your Hyundai, or let's just say you need parts in general. You need to do an oil change. So you're going to get your, you need your oil, you need your filter, you need your O-ring, you need all, all your shit to be able to do that. There's only one place that I go and everybody at Redline Radio goes to make that possible. And that is Detroit Auto Parts, the official part store of Redline Radio LLC and the current home of Studio Numero Uno. Two convenient locations, east side, west side. Google Detroit Auto Parts for details. All right, so you get your car back up and running. You're you're doing great. Your oil's all clean, everything like that. So now, let's say you're like me and you want to get some ink now that your car's all fixed, bills are covered. Do something nice for you, right? So, obviously, I have some ink. We got Batman and Harley Quinn here. Obviously, I just showed it when we came back from break. We got the Ghostbusters logo here looking like it's a patch. Well, where did you get your ink done, senor motherfucking money? Well, I get it done at one place by one guy. And that is Tattoo Therapy Inc. in Parma Heights, Ohio. And my personal artist, Riley Chase. Riley has amassed the best collection of tattoo artists this side. Focus! Thank you. This side of Northeast Ohio. You can find them in the Greenbrier Shopping Center, and when you go, tell them you heard all about Tattoo Therapy Inc. on Money's Crazy Mind on Red Line Radio LLC. So, as you can see, the Money's Crazy Mind shirt makes a return this week. I got to send a huge shout out to Mike and Diane at Incredible Keepsakes for making these great Money's Crazy Mind shirts. If you want a Money's Crazy Mind shirt or a Redline Radio t-shirt with our new anniversary logo or maybe the classic Redline Radio logo or let's say you just want any kind of personalized stuff. Let's say you forgot a Christmas present and you're in a rush and you need to get that present because you forgot somebody. Call Mike and Diane at Incredible Keepsakes. You can reach out to them at IncredibleKeepsakes.com. See all the great items and 
memorabilia and cool stuff that they have available for you. You see it every Sunday night on Steel City Renegades. My etched metal cup. That is <clears throat> from Incredible Keepsakes. The Redline Radio hoodie I was wearing Sunday night on, on Renegades. Or actually, that was a Thursday night special presentation. That was Incredible Keepsakes. So you see all the great stuff that Redline Radio is promoting for Incredible Keepsakes. Check them out. IncredibleKeepsakes.com. Diane always says it, and I've heard her say it in person. She's a wonderful, wonderful lady. Cherish moments are made to last forever, as the NWO would say. <clears throat> Sean Boyd killed it Monday night on the very first episode of Just Therapy. If you enjoy Just Therapy, you can catch it every Monday night, 7 to 9 p.m. right here on Redline Radio. Tim Buck Tuesday, always killing it on Tim Buck Tuesdays. Rewind. Edit. What am I talking about? I don't edit. Timbuktu always kills it on Timbuk Tuesdays, 6 to 8 p.m. Wednesday night, you got Kyle and Justin talking all the Cleveland sports, including the Cleveland Clown Show. I'm talking about balls, 7 to 9 p.m. And then... Let's say you want to get your she vibe on. You got a vibe with she vibes, eight thirty to nine thirty p.m. on Redline Radio on Wednesday nights. Thursday night, Lex Vegas is back from vacation, seven to nine p.m. The Lex Vegas show, Club Pizzle may not be Club Pizzle anymore, but he is in a new time, eight to nine, right here on Redline Radio. Is it eight to nine or is it nine to ten? I think it's eight to nine actually. Uh, Money's Crazy Soundtrack is going to take a little bit of a vacation for a little bit, but we'll be back with all the great tunes. New time, 5 to 7 p.m. Thursday nights on RedlineRadioLLC.com exclusively. And then obviously Friday night, you got Money's Crazy Mind, 8 to 10 p.m. Saturday, Cocktails and Comedy with Jen Jen, 8.30 to 9.30. And then you've got TMI, Too Much Information, from 10 to midnight. And then Sunday. I hear Medium Ratchet is coming back. So stay tuned for that, 5 to 7. And then, of course, for the final time this year, the Steel City Renegades. After this week, if we don't make the playoffs, Dave, Chipper, and myself will be taking a vacation until next season when we are going to be in our brand new time, 10 a.m. to noon on Sundays once next football season kicks off. All right. I think I've talked about every show here on Redline Radio. We do got a couple new shows that are going to be starting here very, very soon, so stay tuned for that. We are going to be advertising them very, very soon. So I think I've got all the uh, business out of the way. I've paid all the bills. So let's dive in to this crazy story that I heard about a professional wrestler who is related. I, I can't deny that. He is definitely related to professional wrestling royalty. There is no denying that. He's not a brother. 
He's not even a half-brother or anything like that. He's a cousin of one of the most elite wrestling families in pro wrestling, and that is the Hart Dynasty. But who am I talking about? I'm obviously not talking about Brett. I don't dare speak of Owen because his widow is fucking psycho. I'm not talking about Natalia. I'm not talking about any of those guys. I'm talking about a member of the Hart family that you have probably never heard of, and that is Teddy Hart. So I'm scrolling through the WWE. Believe it or not, this is in the WWE section of Peacock, which is the U.S. home of the WWE Network. So I'm scrolling through, looking for some interesting stuff to check out. And this three-piece documentary pops up. In a very brief nutshell, because this dude is just out there. Teddy Hart is the cousin of Brett, Owen, and all of those. Hearts. And he he calls Brett Uncle Brett, but he's actually only his cousin, so whatever. He is the youngest wrestler in the history of WWE to be offered a contract at 18 years old. The last name Hart probably helped with that. But he is also the youngest wrestler to be fired by WWE at 18 years old. So he uses his name to bomb around the indies. But he also transformed his house into the New Hart Family Dungeon to train wrestlers although from the way i understand it there ain't much training going on he basically just brings people in under the guise of training them to become wrestlers and he turns them into his own personal servants uh they interviewed one guy in this documentary where they're talking about he has to feed the cats he's responsible for getting uh, Teddy, his his beverages and, and several other things. He never took one bump in a professional wrestling ring the entire time he was training, training with Teddy Hart. Teddy Hart has a couple of side hustles, one of which is breeding Persian long hair cats. There's another member of the Hart family which has an obsession with cats. But she's much more popular and successful in the business than that guy. Don't mind the quality of the picture. As you can see, the title of the documentary and Peacock Original look phenomenal. The picture looks like ass. And I don't know why. But that's the way the actual poster is. And I'm just like, all right, fuck it. I'm gonna, I'm, I have to roll with it. Because that's what it is. And if I made it any smaller, it looks even more like ass. 
So this is what I have to deal with. I'm sorry. But this guy also claimed to be in a polyamorous relationship with two women, his wife and his girlfriend. Those two women, during the 10-year course that this filmmaker is doing this documentary, all of a sudden press rape and imprisonment charges on him. And he flees the country. He's Canadian, as all hearts are. And hides out in the U.S. in Florida. Meets yet another woman. Promises to train her to become a professional wrestler. And that he's going to take her back to Canada to meet Uncle Brett. He comes back to Canada. Is immediately arrested by the Canadian Mounted Police because they're like the FBI of Canada and is now being held on rape and imprisonment charges. Because his last name is Hart and because he claims to be a member of the Hart family, I even question that because not a single known member of the Hart family, Brett, any of the brothers, uh, other brothers, Natalia, none of them. And during the time that this dude is filming this documentary, Jim the Anvil Nightheart is very much alive. None of them agreed to be a part of this documentary. So I am seriously questioning and have been since I started decided to, to jump down this unfortunate rabbit hole. I'm questioning this man's claim to the Hart family. But he's released on cheap bail because the Hearts are God in Canada and is allowed to continue this relationship with this other woman breaks up with her, meets a stripper in a bar with some other kooky-ass motherfucker who's the guy that paid his bail and says she would make a phenomenal professional wrestler. He then abandons her in Florida with no reason given whatsoever, comes back to Canada to face the trial, I don't even think that they mentioned what happened to the trial. Like, I don't know what the outcome of the trial was. I don't remember hearing what the outcome of the trial was because this story takes such a fucking twist now that all of the focus ended up becoming to this. This girl that he was seeing, this third girlfriend who has four kids, disappears. He takes off back to Canada to face justice in the rape and imprisonment charges, leaves her down there to continue her training, and somewhere in the course of this, between him leaving Florida and coming back to Canada, she disappears. Now, the people that he left her with are sketchy as it is. And we don't know if he paid these people off to make her disappear because he's also a fucking drug dealer. I forgot to mention that 
His house looks like Snoop Dogg's dream. Marijuana paraphernalia everywhere. Flags, bongs, bowls, you name it. If you could fucking smoke weed out of it, or if it had a pot leaf on it, this dude had it in his house. Now, this woman disappears. She just disappeared off the face of the earth. Like, the people she was training with down in Florida claim they don't know what happened to her. He's swearing up and down that he that he had nothing to do with it. But then if you watch the trailer to this, you don't even wa- if you don't even watch the documentary, which I definitely say, watch this documentary because I'm still trying to figure it out, and I've watched it twice. He says something in here that makes him sound so involved in this woman's disappearance, it's unrefutable. And that is, I don't know what happened to her, but whatever happened to her, she had it coming. So if you don't know what happened to her, how could she have it coming? But basically, the second half of this documentary is basically trying to figure out if during the course of the 10 years that this guy was documenting him, he said anything in any interview that would incriminate him so that not only could he take that information to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, but he could also take it to the FBI. Because this woman, I believe she was an American citizen. And she went disappeared. She disappeared in the States. But he's a Canadian citizen. So while this would be all it would be a joint investigation, and both agencies have been actively looking for her and constantly bringing him back in for questioning whenever new information comes about. But there has been no body, no single presence of this woman in 10 years and this got me thinking about this guy has done some crazy shit because he's he's had to reinvent himself because name alone is not making it for him in the business so this brought up the the question about uh you know, concussions and, you know, other things that have plagued some of the biggest names in the business, past and present, that did everything they could to change the business and make the business better. Most recently, and this is where we start getting into the dark side of professional wrestling. This is obviously one of the darkest things that I think could happen to professional wrestling. And I'm wondering if Dark Side of the Ring is even going to tackle the Teddy Hart story. It is that intriguing. Yes, there's a three-piece documentary that is a uh, WWE film that's available to watch right now on Peacock. You see the poster behind me, Dangerous Breed, Crime, Cons, and Cats. So if you want to check it out, You can just go on to Peacock. It's a Peacock original. It'll pop up under Peacock originals, but it also pops up 
under the WWE section of this since, I don't know why, since this dude basically was in WWE, not even, I, I think he tried to take a sip of the coffee and Vince walked up to him and said, you're fired. And that's it. I mean, that's it. That was his time in WWE. He's never been invited back since. But it made me start thinking, like, all of the crazy stories that you hear on Dark Side of the Ring or just know about because wrestlers have become much more open about these things over the decades, where does it, what causes it? Where does it stem from? Especially with this, because it just seems like this dude has never gotten a break. I think the most notoriety he's ever had was in Ring of Honor. And that even that was for a cup of coffee and a donut. But it got me thinking. And making me wonder what some of the most captivating moments that have happened in the last, let's say, 20 years in professional wrestling are all mired under something negative. And the most recent of that is Kurt Angle. For those of you that don't know, Kurt Angle is starting to suffer memory loss from just year deck you know at this point decades of abuse and his mind is slowly becoming mush from concussions but there's even a there's even some dark past when it comes to Kurt Angle his wife left him because of some of this darkness and it got me thinking, could some of that be related to not just the WWE, obviously, but I mean, he had a very successful career in Impact. He came back to WWE, you know, didn't really do much there physically, but now there's talk that he might go to AEW and do some things there. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, Kurt, you went on a podcast and admitted that you have concussions and you have brain damage and you're starting to suffer memory loss. Is getting back in the ring in AEW really the best option for Kurt Angle in this part of your life? You're a WWE Hall of Famer, bro. Do backstage stuff if you want to do something. You don't have to get back in the ring, man. Like, let your brain... It can't heal at this point because once you have brain damage, brain damage is forever. It turns into gray matter, and gray matter in the brain is dead. If you've ever seen the movie Hannibal, when he fries up the dude's brain, it turns white. That is dead brain material. That's what a blow to the brain does because your brain jiggles around your skull like jello. But Kurt also has other problems, too. His neck never properly healed after the 96 Olympics. After the 96 Olympics, after he won the gold medal, he pretty much went straight into professional wrestling. A lot of people may not know this, 
but he almost had a career in ECW. Kurt's from Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, but so was ECW. They were in Philly. He was invited down. He, you know, made an appearance in the ring as the Olympic gold medalist, Kurt Angle from Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, you know, so we got a little jar there because Philly and Pittsburgh don't like each other, Eagles, Steelers. But he was pretty much regaled as a hero. And the whole idea was that Paul Heyman was going to bring him in and he was going to be like another Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, guys like that that left ECW to go to WCW by that point. And Kurt saw some things on the show that he didn't like and he goes, I know things are a little bit looser here, but I do not want my image on this broadcast because Raven crucified the Sandman. And Kurt's a very religious man, or at least he was at the time. I don't know if he still is. I'm not, I'm not going to make assumptions, but this is what was on the uh, documentary that I saw, not only about Kurt Angle, because there's one about Kurt, but there's also one on ECW. And he did state this, that, you know, because of my connection to Catholicism, I do not want my image on this broadcast as long as that crucifixion is on. Sam er, uh, Raven had to come out the next week and apologize to the crowd. And he actually broke kayfabe and used his real name and said, Scott Levy apologizes for his use of religious iconography last week on the show. And that was part of the deal with Kurt was I'm, I'm leaving. I'm not coming back, but there needs to be an apology for that on next week's show. So Heyman made good on that. Kurt goes to WWE, immediately starts training his neck, never fully healed. And then, you know, continually drop, getting dropped on his neck. Some of the suplexes that he does obviously puts pressure on the neck. Moonsaulting off of cages probably didn't help either, Kurt. Um, but he got addicted to painkillers. And WWE pretty much gave him an ultimatum. You either go to rehab and get better, or you don't work in WWE anymore. Well, Kurt's like, fuck you, I don't have a problem. Left, went to Impact. So when he left and went to Impact Wrestling, you know, he was still very addicted to painkillers, which caused his ex-wife, now Karen, to leave him and fall into the hands of another person in uh, Impact Wrestling. I will leave names out of it, Jeff Jarrett. And, you know, so Kurt kind of has a little bit of a mired past, too, when it comes to professional wrestling. He's not an angel in this. You know, and he's obviously suffering some of the consequences. So it's kind of made me wonder if, you know, the painkiller addiction and also the concussions and everything else led to some of the things that he's now dealing with, with the memory loss and all of that. And I've heard that Kurt can be an excellent guy, but he can also be somewhat of an asshole. And we all know that CTE, concussion trauma, can cause unregulated mood swings and obviously that would be a mood swing you're a great dude but you're an asshole at the same time i i suffer from it as well i've had concussions and i and i've had severe concussions and my brain has not been the same since i forget things i have a hard time talking sometimes it's caused definite psychological issues and i just 
I don't want to see that for anybody. And probably one of the most famous dark stories when it comes to professional wrestling is the tragedy of Eddie Guerrero. And obviously there's a worse one than that, and, and we'll get to that. But Eddie Guerrero, unfortunately, died because of yet addiction yet again. Now, the sad part in Eddie's case, and we'll, we'll talk about this again when we talk about another wrestler that died. Um, Eddie got off the drugs. Eddie quit drinking. Eddie was healthy for the first time in a long time. But because of the abuse that he did to his body, not only as a wrestler, but with the addiction, his heart exploded. And it caused him to die. And I think for the first time in a long time, because there hasn't really been a tragedy to this magnitude in professional wrestling with a wrestler as beloved as Eddie, where it definitely made WWE take a look and say, what is happening here? And they started doing the rehab programs, and they started doing the things like that because of Eddie. And in my opinion, it was too little too late. Eddie Guerrero technically should have died three times that I can think of before his actual death. And that's not something that I like to say, but I'm throwing it out there as a reference to what I'm talking about here. Eddie's widow, Vicky, who if you're a WWE fan or AEW fan, actually, you know who Vicky Guerrero is. came home one time and found Eddie completely unresponsive from a mixture of alcohol and painkillers. And she took the kids out of the house because she said if God was going to take Eddie that night, she didn't want the kids to see it. But that was also the wake-up call that she gave to Eddie. And she told Eddie, if you don't stop, you're going to die, and you're going to leave your children. And that was the snap that Eddie needed to wake up and get clean. Eddie's death also had a profound impact on a friend. And unfortunately, I think it led to a, some of the things that happened in that friend's life. Not only that, but it also had a profound impact on Eddie's nephew, Chavo. Now, Chavo's actually had a, a pretty successful career since leaving WWE, and even after his uncle's death. But Chavo was the one that held Eddie in his arms while he died. And that is enough to fuck anybody up. Probably one of the more popular 
And this isn't necessarily a full tragedy because this person is still alive and kicking and he owes it a lot to the person that's actually in the picture with him here. But we're going to talk about what, why did you, I got rid of you. Jake the Snake Roberts. And there is actually a very well done documentary called The Resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts that talks about a lot of the things that I'm going to skirt through here because time. Jake the Snake was one of the most popular wrestlers in the 80s and 90s. Jake was also a huge drug addict. Jake's fall from grace was so bad that it became the butt of a joke in another documentary that has been making the rounds of the professional wrestling circles since 1999 when it was originally released called Beyond the Mat. And the filmmaker of that film, Barry Blostein, made it a point to point out just how bad Jake's drug addiction was in this film. So much so that Barry has actually been pretty much blacklisted from ever doing anything with professional wrestling ever again. But Jake is caught on camera telling a promoter that the only way that he will come wrestle for him is for a thousand dollars cash and a pound. I will say that again. A pound of cocaine now jake is not 100 percent guilty in this because they obviously have footage of jake backstage at this event which means the promoter got jake a pound of cocaine and a grant But it also talked about Jake's pretty much non-existent relationship with his family. A lot of that stems from the fact that Jake was addicted to drugs. As Jake's story continues, Jake ends up in such bad condition, he couldn't walk. And someone sent. The other man in this picture, the guy I'm pointing to, video, not only of Beyond the Mat. Actually, Beyond the Mat couldn't have come out in 1999 because, no, it did. But WCW declined to take part in it. That's what it was. But somebody sent the other man, which is why this person didn't know about it, Diamond Dallas Page footage of Jake at a show. But not just Jake at a show, but also the fact that Jake needed hip surgery and couldn't pay for it, but that Jake was in such bad shape the doctors couldn't even perform the surgery. So Dallas reached out to Jake, because they're very good friends, and put Jake on DDP yoga to help get his body back into a uh, 
good enough shape that he could have the hip surgery. I'm probably going to start crying talking about this because it's a miraculous story and it is very touching and very heartwarming. But not only that, but Dallas helped Jake get clean and sober. And there were several things that were dependent on Jake getting clean. One of them being inducted in the WWE Hall of Fame. The other, if Jake had done the hip surgery and if he was still addicted to all the shit he was addicted to, he would have died. But not only that, but Dallas promoting DDP yoga the way he did. He put it out on his social medias that Jake is here, he's putting in the work, he's getting better, he's doing what he needs to do, but because professional wrestlers are some of the most screwed over people on the planet, they're considered independent contractors but they are put in multi-year deals that forbid them from being able to seek work either in other professional wrestling companies or even some television shows, movies, whatever, which we just recently saw with Mandy Rose. And I, while I'm not talking about Mandy Rose in this particular instance, I'll briefly touch on it at the close of this. But... Like an event that recently happened with Mandy Rose. If they make money outside of of where they are, I think AEW is a little bit better with this than WWE is. But WWE has the right to sit there and say, you are in violation of your contract to WWE for conduct unbecoming. And they can terminate you. If it's not something that WWE sanctions, like when The Rock did uh, The Mummy Returns, Scorpion King, and some of the other films while he was still very highly active in WWE, obviously WWE approved that. You know, John Cena in The Marine, Randy Orton in The Marine too, The Miz in The Marine, nine, uh, three through nine million. Actually, I think Ted, Ted DiBiase Jr. did one in between there, but whatever. They have the right to terminate your contract. But the other thing is, is that because they're independent contractors, even though they're under contract for multi-year deals, which kind of defeats the point of independent contractor, but somehow, some way, that's what professional wrestling is listed as, they also don't get health insurance. And being able to get health insurance after decades of beating yourself up another um profession that has a hard time getting health insurance is stunt people because again they're hurting themselves for a living so because of this and because jake has never had insurance this surgery was going to cost thousands and ddp took to social media took to the wrestling fans, took to the DDP yoga users 
and put out a video of Jake putting in the work, doing the yoga, getting better, showing the results, showing that that Jake is clean and is free of drugs for the first time in I can't even remember how many years. And said, Jake needs your help. Paying for this surgery that could change his life and make it so much easier for him to be able to walk again. But not just that, but be able to do the DDP yoga better to fix a lot of the other ailments that he had. And God damn it, wrestling fans came out in force and not only covered the cost of his surgery, but were able to make sure that he was taken care of afterwards for some time as well. Jake also got into the WWE Hall of Fame after it was confirmed that he had been clean for quite a bit of time. And the man that inducted him was DDP. I told you I was probably going to start crying talking about this. I never really got to see Jake wrestle when I was a kid. But seeing this story and seeing the miraculous turnaround that Jake had, God damn it, if it doesn't make you feel something, then you're a heartless piece of shit. We're going to get into another very tragic tale of professional wrestling that is very sad. And we did actually talk about this person uh, when he died um, here on the show. So we won't get too much into his story. But that is. Scott Hall. Scott's life was fucked up before he even got into wrestling. And a lot of his demons followed him into professional wrestling. But Scott, like Jake, was so beat up and in such bad shape. He there is even video of him in very bad shape and it got to Dallas Dallas helped him get better get clean and because of all of the damage that he did to himself a surgery that would have changed his life significantly unfortunately killed him and we're getting very short on time here so I'm just gonna kind of breeze through the last unfortunate tale that we have to tell and i don't want to get too much too in depth with this one because i've done it i did a three-part episode series on this individual but that's chris benoit chris was so badly affected by the death of eddie guerrero eddie and chris were very good friends that it just caused a downward spiral in his life that he could never recover from I don't want to get into some of the things. If you want to know a lot about events that happened before, obviously, the event that everybody knows, and that's 
the double homicide and suicide of Benoit's wife, son, and then, of course, the suicide of himself. You can go on to Hulu and look in season two of Dark Side of the Ring, and the first two episodes of season two are the Chris Benoit story. But there are a lot of things that Chris started doing after the death of Eddie that made people question a lot of things, but yet nobody ever offered him help. And at the post-mortem, they did a scan and a study of Chris Benoit's brain. And that study came back as saying that the only other people that they have ever seen this level of trauma to the brain in are is athletes that have played professional football for far too long. And he had significant brain damage from undiagnosed concussions. There are some things that make me want to believe the CTE story when it comes to the double homicide and suicide. But there are other things that happened for years leading up to the murders that make me question that diagnosis. Things that I didn't know until Dark Side of the Ring. But the real tragedy here for Chris Benoit is that after his best friend, Eddie Guerrero, died, nobody, and I hate to speak ill of the dead, especially somebody as wonderful as Nancy Benoit was, but Nancy Benoit included in that did anything to try to get him any help. It was very obvious that there were clear psychological issues that stemmed from the the death of Eddie Guerrero when it came to Chris Benoit. And again, nobody did anything about it. So I'm going to wrap this up here. We're going to wrap this week's episode. And I, I, I just want to say this. I told these stories for a reason. These particular stories for a reason. One of them had a happy ending. <clears throat> the others did not. While professional wrestling is obviously a great form of entertainment, it's a form of entertainment I've enjoyed for the better part of 20 years. There is clear... clear things that happen to professional wrestlers because of the damage that they have done to their body for the time that they have decided to be a professional wrestler be it 5 years 10 years or maybe 20-30 years too long I'm reminded of some of the things that happened to Ric Flair that man should have been dead 4 or 5 times over already the motherfucker was in a plane crash 
and walked away with just a few broken bones. A few years down the line, he was struck by lightning getting out of an airplane and inadvertently killed somebody because of it. But the man also suffered pretty much an entire body breakdown. He was septic. His heart failed. His kidneys failed. His liver failed. His body gave up on him. Not only because of the years of abuse to his body that he did, because the man still hasn't fucking retired from professional wrestling. But his son died. And he, w- he admitted that he was drinking from 10 a.m. to 2 a.m. every day. But even during that time, he was still working for WWE. He was still making appearances for WWE. He was making appearances in Impact Wrestling. You know, and he was also training his daughter, Charlotte, after his son died. And he was making appearances on NXT with her. But Ric Flair should have died three times. And the man is still kicking. And I I mean, I didn't even touch Warrior. But Mandy Rose was fired for posting nude photos on a paid subscription website. And they leaked to WWE. And WWE said that it's conduct unbecoming of being a professional wrestler. It's all of these things that, that make me question a lot of the things about professional wrestling. Obviously, it's not safe. I'm not, I'm not sitting there saying that they need better regulations to make it safe. I mean, it's definitely gotten safer, but there are definitely things that happen while people are in the business that cause them issues after the business. Chris Benoit, perfect example. I mean, but he was still in the business and he was still highly popular when what happened to him happened. Eddie Guerrero was in the prime of his career, having the best part of his career when he died. But Kurt Angle, Scott Hall, uh, Warrior, Jake the Snake, all of those people never got, some of them never had their careers redeemed. Scott Hall, I think, is a perfect example of that. Yeah, he's in the WWE Hall of Fame, not only as a member of the New World Order, but as Razor Ramon. But even when he died, even though it had nothing to do with his questionable past, and his past is probably one of the darkest in the history of professional wrestling, even on the day he died, it was still stated that he became a joke in the business because he couldn't put the pills and booze down. Even though none of his addiction, well, I'm sure his addiction did help, but he died during routine surgery. 
So all I'm saying is, is it's just enjoy the entertainment, but just know what that entertainment might be costing the people on the other side of the camera. I didn't really, I hate ending on such a negative note like that, but I don't see any other way to end this episode of Money's Crazy Mind. And if you enjoyed it, share the show, like the show, tell your friends. We'll be back next week with another crazy adventure here in Nurse Ratchet's Asylum. Until next week, everybody, happy new year. And have a week. Money's Crazy Mind is a proud Redline Media Group and nameless, faceless production. That's all, folks.